0: Well, that was a smooth funky groove you had going there, Blaine. <laughs> Easy like a Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. Like a Sunday morning. You got it, man. You know that's a, a real important reminder. That song um, of the great attributes of our great God who uh, watches over us and looks after us even when we don't sense he's there and in particular those are the times that we really need to to lean upon what we know about God that he reigns that he is powerful that he is over us that he made us that he created us that he loves us that he has a purpose for us maybe the hardest pill to swallow in life is undeserved mistreatment anybody been there been mistreated to believe and know that God could save you but he seems to be on the sideline and it's really rough well the Lord has laid on my heart to to put a pause in Galatians for right now and um, begin a mini series in Joseph man of the spirit I think that what we've been learning, the doctrine of walking with God, of depending upon God, of serving God, and trusting Him. God laid it on my heart to choose one of His faithful servants from the Scriptures who walked with God and, and take some time to look at His life as a model, as an example of, of what it means to be a man of the Spirit of God, Lessons, by the way, that every servant of God is going to need. Because each of us are going to face tough settings. You have. You will. You will continue to. And God will seem silent at times. He will seem to have abandoned you or become a spectator. But you also know that God is spectacularly sovereign over all things. And you have to reconcile all of that. And so it's important for us, I think, to get a solid grasp on how you fit in to the big plan of God, and how tough times fit in that plan, and all of it being in the plan of God. It'll set us up to not lose our footing while we walk in the Spirit. In fact, as, I, as I've taken a look again at the life of Joseph, his life kind of reminds me of... Um, of that ancient technology, picture-in-picture. Anybody have a TV like that? Picture-in-picture TV? Yeah. I don't know if that wasn't real popular or what, but it didn't really catch on very much. But but I got one of those things. I, I love it, you know. You can watch the hockey game in big picture, and Lynn can watch her decorating show on the little kind of box there. <laughs> then we can both be happy. But the picture-in-picture idea is, is I think helps me to really visualize the Joseph story and really helps us to visualize our own stories as well. There is the big picture of God and then there's the little picture of you. And you're in the big picture, but, but you think you're the only picture. You think that little tiny box that's you is the, is the picture. And, 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 and at any given moment, of course, when we're really up against it, I mean, we are the... the we are the most significant reality that's going on. And we're like, God, my picture, my story, is the, it should be the most important thing on your agenda right now. And it is. It is. And so you have in this story of Joseph the mysterious ways of God's providence, his sovereignty as the big, big picture over against Joseph, one man, man of the Spirit. And the big question of the Joseph story, I think, as one writer has correctly stated, is this. How do you explain someone who doesn't get bitter and hard in the face of gross mistreatment, doesn't get ruined by promotion and prosperity, and is the same in private as he is in public? That's Joseph. And the only logical answer to that is that he truly believed what would be written in the Scripture's Centuries later in Romans 8.28 That he knew that in all things God works for the good of those who love him But note Who have been called according to His purpose God's purpose The goal for all of our lives The target of all of our lives Is God's purpose And how we fit into that The goal is His purpose, not easy circumstances. Because if the goal were easy circumstances, God is failing miserably in our lives, is He not? But it's not. And His purpose is for our good. But getting there can be hard. So we come to terms with the fact that our lives are bit parts in a grand divine master plan And we have to get over the bewilderment When god doesn't treat our lives like they're random disconnected and isolated episodes Lord, please make my life setting 30 minutes segments that are happily ever after Is not that what we want? That's what I want Get up every morning Lord please bless me Bless my family Bless my kids Bless my wife Make it easy for us Make it a wonderful day And really this should answer The why question in our lives Why? Because God has a bigger plan Why is it tough? Why are we struggling? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why in the episode of my life And in my story Is it tough? Because my story isn't the story. It's God's story that's the story. And I fit into that somehow. And by God's amazing grace, he pulls me into his story and and lets me live in his story and and thrive in his story. and, and, And the goal is his purpose. Would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Genesis chapter 37? We're going to take a look at half a story this morning And the other half this evening But hopefully we'll get a big story of God See each event of our lives is just a part of God's greater and more complex plan And I think nowhere is this better illustrated than in Joseph's life And this might be happening to you I want to read Genesis 37, 1 to 11. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. And then the first word after that is Joseph. It's rather shocking. You'd think if this was the story of Jacob, that we'd be talking about Jacob. But that's my point. The story is really about God, not Jacob or Joseph or anybody else for that matter. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, concubine wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose, and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Our Father and our God, as we have our Bibles open this morning, the Word of God set before us, this is your Word. We come before you and recognize that while we are investigating the stories of your servants, we are truly Probing the story of our great God and who you are. Father, I pray that you'd encourage our hearts this morning. There's someone here who's burdened by the cares of life mistreatment, trouble, hardship, pain, bewilderment. Father, would you grant a fresh awareness or perhaps a, a new awareness? of who you are in our lives what you intend what you can do what you intend to do that we might trust you and love you and serve you and rely upon you and rest in you I pray help us now to respond and receive and welcome the word of God as you speak to our hearts give us new confidence grant us hope Lord I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I almost think we should go to the nursery and get Luke. He loves the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. It's one of his favorite new stories. It's a story we love, really, don't we? We know this story. Joseph, most of us know about this. When I was talking to you about Joseph being just a small story and God's big story maybe we've never considered before the reality of the big story that surrounds Joseph here maybe it's important for us just to take a look at the divine master plan in which Joseph found himself as a context for this so we'll we'll understand what is really going on here because the grand interest in Joseph's life was probably about as far as he could see on the Canaanite pasture land I mean that's the range of our stories for the most part It's the range of our house or how far we can see down the street or how far we can see down the road or how far we can see in our our eye-touch calendar. That's the range of our lives. But that's not the context we live in. The context we live in is is incredibly bigger than that. The context that Joseph was in was was extremely grand. The, The divine master plan of of the people of God. In Genesis 12, keep in mind, this is, this is where Joseph was living. In, in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God's great plan is a promise to make a family into a great nation and bless all peoples on earth. We're we're zeroing in here on a family and on a person, but but the grand plan that this fits into is is this family is going to become a great nation, which is going to to be a a nation that through which all of the peoples and all of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a big vision, and so we have in Genesis the story of the family. But by the time we get to Exodus, we're moving into the nation. And as we continue to flip the pages of our Bible, we get to the place where where all the nations are being blessed on the earth. So Joseph is a part of the Jacob story, who's a part of the Isaac story, who's a part of the Abraham story. But all of them are a part of the grand God story. That's, That's the issue, that's what matters. And all ultimately are part of the Jesus story. Through whom all the nations on earth will be blessed. In Genesis 15, by the time we get there, verses 13 through 16, we find out that the grand plan of God is that there will be uh, his people will be enslaved strangers until the full measure of Canaanite sin renders them targets of God's judgment. They won't come back here until the fourth generation. What's going to happen a- after Joseph's story is they're going to be taken into, into, uh, uh, in- into Egypt and become enslaved until the fourth generation, until the, the, the sins around them are so great that God has to say enough and, cause, and bring judgment upon them. and then we find out in Genesis 47:13 and following that there's going to be a life-threatening famine. We don't know that yet. Genesis 37. But God does. There's going to be a life-threatening famine that's scheduled in the future that would jeopardize the promise that through this family, through this nation, all the nations in the world would be blessed in the absence of some sort of divine preemptive plan like a family going and forced to migrate to Egypt like perhaps a leader who might have the great wisdom to set aside great masses of food and take care of the people and then we find out in the scriptures in, in the new testament Romans 15:4 1 Corinthians 10:6 and played out in Genesis 22 that the divine there's a divine propensity to preview future divine events and life lessons the parallels between the joseph and jesus story are not coincidental do you realize that it says this in romans 15 4 that everything in the past that was written was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope that's it What's the Joseph story? How does it relate to my life? How how is it applicable to my life? When I look and and see these ancient stories, they they are meant and recorded to, to teach us to be encouraged, to endure, to have hope that while they were bewildered and didn't, couldn't comprehend what was going on and wondered where was God when we were hurting and when we were in distress and when we were in mistreatment, where was God? You find out as you look back in these stories, God was at work. God's been at work in your story. The Joseph stories about the dangers, toils, and snares of faithful man or woman of God must face within the grand plan and will of God to teach us to be hopeful. Here's the picture in picture in the Joseph story as we introduce it this morning. This is how, this answers the question, how is God going to get Israel to Egypt and set apart a man of his choosing to make it happen? And it won't be a comfy, cozy, straight line. But to keep your place in God's plan You have to persevere So you're saying Well that's interesting That's a grand plan of God's ancient people But what about me Well your plan Today Christ is building his church And the gates of hell are opposing ferociously And you have been set apart To be a man or a woman of God's choosing To make it happen That God's church would grow That This is the big picture that your smaller picture is in. It's not just God is still on the throne. And so we go, whatever. I just try to get through day after day. God is still on the throne. No, it's God has this amazing plan. And you're part of it. And the hardship and the suffering and the strain and all of that is all part of the purpose of God. To get you where he wants to get you. To make you who he wants you to be. To accomplish through you, your part in his grand plan. You might be saying this morning, my background and family setting is too horrendous for me to be a part of that grand plan. You have no idea, Rick, about my background I can't imagine how God would um, be able to use me or be able to put plug me into the grand purpose that he has. How is God going to make me part of growing his church? I, I have so much dysfunction in the background. <laughs> well, I can tell you that you have great hope then. All you have to do is read and understand the Joseph story. And you'll realize that That the account of Jacob, when it says here, this is the account of Jacob, it's as if God is writing in his word, baggage. I mean, this guy has a lot of stuff in the background. It's like staring at us. This is the account of Jacob. This is the account of this man who has a lot of stuff. Can I make this first point this morning? God's greatest champions are often set up by the hardships of their past. God's greatest champions are often set up by the hardships of their past. Joseph, if we know anything about Joseph's life, and I'm going to summarize it for you, I'd encourage you to read back a few chapters this afternoon before Spain beats up on Italy. (laughs) Joseph's life from birth to 17 was unstable and unsettled with relationships that sowed seeds of adversarial antagonism beyond belief. About the only good thing that ever happened in Joseph's background was his father really loved his mother. But that's about the only good thing that was really going on in, in his life, in his background. If you were to look back, you would find out that, that early in his formative years, when he's just a little kid, his father, Jacob, has a, a falling out with his grandfather, Laban, his, his mother's father, because Laban's been ripping him off for years, and, and, and Jacob's had enough of it. He said, I've I got to get out of here. I've got to make a living for myself and my family, and, 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 he, and he leaves. He, he sneaks away. And Joseph knew what it was to jump on a camel with his mother and ride like crazy to get away from his angry grandfather who was chasing him down. He also knew what it was like to, to be sent with his mother onto the river, the, the river Jabbok and to sit there huddling, wondering if he was going to lose his life with his mother because his uncle Esau, it was reported, was... was um, was uh, armed for battle was armed for war was coming after them. He knew what it was to have a father whose name actually meant striving against the Lord or striving with the Lord. When his name Jacob was changed to Israel striving with the Lord not submissive to the Lord not Restful in the Lord, not peaceful in the Lord, but striving with the Lord. That's his father. He also knew what it was like to go through the rape of his sister, Dinah, who was raped by the men of Shechem, by a man, a man named Shechem, actually. It became the place name. And then watched his brothers Vengefully Treacherously Murder all of the men Of that village He knew what it was like to have Foreign gods Tucked away in the houses The possessions of his brothers And of his beloved mother hedging their bets just in case the God of heaven wasn't enough. He had three painful removals from his life at this tender age. He lost the uh, maidservant of his grandmother, Rebecca, named Deborah, his nurse. He lost his mother Who he loved, giving birth to his brother Benjamin when he was very young. And his grandfather Isaac died. His was not a romanced childhood by any means. Not to mention the fact that his father had four wives. Talk about the housewives of the Canaanite community. I think they made the first reality show about those ladies. Can you imagine them vying for attention? You know what that's... No, we don't know what that's like. But you can imagine what it would be like. All the children vying for a favored position. You know what it would be like to be the children of the concubine wives? Thinking that you had a shot at life at all? And then, of course, being the son... Of the most desired wife, made you the target of all of your brothers. And Jacob was a passive father. As Swindoll notes, passive fathers tend to favor the child who is easiest to raise. So, can I say something to you who think you have a dysfunctional background and God can never use you for anything great? Think again. The most unlikely are regularly the choice of a God who only requires faithfulness, He supplies the rest. And if you've ever felt like your background really conspires against the likelihood of anything worthwhile, keep this in mind that disabilities of the flesh are the right setting for abilities of the Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I I celebrate my weakness. Because when I am weak, what does he say in 2 Corinthians? When I am weak, God proves strong. In the areas that I'm weak, I I realize that if I'm accomplishing anything in this area at all, it's only because of the power of God. God. So our our background, our dysfunctional background can't get in the way of God's great purposes. Our disabilities, our own physical disabilities, our weaknesses can't get in the way of God's great profound work. And the conspiracy of others, the conspiracy of the flesh against positive human accomplishment is what God seems to use to produce full dependence on His Spirit when others rise up against you, when life has come against you, it just simply pushes you more to depend upon God. Can anything separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Well, let's very quickly summarize this first part of the Joseph story this way. I've set you up with um, The big picture But I want to look at some specifics here As we bring to bear Basically three thoughts And the the second point That that I want to bring to you this morning Is that those God uses to deliver others Seem to be commonly shaped By hurt and suffering In the present Let me read something to you about the Lord Jesus Christ In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, during the days of Jesus, life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Listen, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And here's our story in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Those God uses to deliver others seem to be commonly shaped by hurt and suffering in the present. So what should you expect then? What should I expect? What should each of us expect when God is tempering us? You know what that means? Tempering, tempering steel, making it harder, making it more useful, refining it, building it. What should we expect? Traditionally, the picture of Joseph has been sort of a pampered, sissy boy, favored by his father, grossly misreading social cues and naive people skills. And that's kind of been the story that Joseph has sort of been presented to us, has it not? You know, I got to thinking about that and it seemed very unsatisfactory to me. It seemed to me there was something wrong with that picture. Although, in some ways, the characterizations of Joseph are certainly true. He had a lot to learn. So do all of us. (laughs) There isn't a one of us who has isn't in heaven already, that doesn't have a lot to learn. But I I really believe if we look a little bit better at this story, we're going to find out that looking deeper, we learn more about the message of what God really wants for us it's not just a surface character study That, that Joseph, if he hadn't been highly favored If it wasn't about favoritism in the family Then oh, the family would have been fine If it wasn't about his, his naive social skills And relational dysfunction that, that Joseph would have got along better with people And so we use this as some sort of model For, for, for human, uh, human uh, uh, betterment that, That's not what this is all about This is the story of how God got Israel to Egypt and refined and shaped a leader to deliver his people. And I can tell you that he's not a sissy boy. And he has some pretty incredible wisdom and courage, actually. And so I want to look at it from a different angle with you this morning. I'm going to give you just three quick insights. From the question that often we say Joseph is he understandably abused Or was he unfairly mistreated I vote for unfairly mistreated And I'll tell you why First of all It says in the text here That he was tending the flocks Verse 2 with his brothers I want to say something to you right up front When that word brothers shows up it's supposed to mean something. It's supposed to mean that, that these are people who are for you. Because they're your brothers. That's what, that's what it means when you go through the scriptures and it says brothers or sisters, family. They're supposed to be for you. And as we read through this, all we get is they're against him. And so before I start blaming Joseph for that, I want to lay blame where it really is. The brothers always had a choice to treat their brother Joseph well. And so anything that went awry is their choice. Not Joseph's failures. Small though they are. And so I want to make, a, I want to make this point for you. That you will be mistreated for your commitment to what is right. That's the explanation of this story. Joseph was a right living guy. He lived with a, with a passion for God. He, he loved the Lord and he loved what was right. And when you love what is right, you can count on being mistreated. You know what I'm talking about. You're mistreated at the workplace for what is right, for standing for what is right. It comes as a rude awakening that I mean, we understand when those outside of faith, when those who who don't love our Lord mistreat us for what is right, but it it comes as a real hard blow and a real shock when brothers treat you wrongly when you're trying to live right. That comes as a hard blow. It says here that he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. You know, I I looked that up quickly and I realized... um, Bilhah and Zilpah are not Leah and Rachel, which means he was out there hanging around with the sons of concubines or servant, maid servant wives' sons, who clearly didn't have a passion. For their father's possessions. Because he brings back to his father a bad report about them. They were out there goofing off. That's the bottom line. Uh, Jacob entrusted his flocks. He entrusted the livelihood of the whole family. He entrusted the, 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 the um, care of the whole family to his sons tending his business. And he invited Joseph, his son, to bring back a staff evaluation. Now, Joseph had a choice. He could be a tattletale or a truth teller. Depends on how you want to see him. See, a lot of us in here would say, well, he should have just tried to get along with his brothers and not be a tattletale and go back and tell Dad." there's one problem with that kind of thinking it goes against the very nature of God himself let me explain to you Leviticus 5, one. if a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about he will be held responsible Joseph wasn't a tattletale Joseph was a man of God. The bottom line for Joseph was um, I've been, I'm responsible for reporting on how well my father's business is going. And my father's asked me, How's it going in the field? If he tells him anything but the truth, Joseph becomes responsible for the failures on the field. The bottom line is, keep in mind what God is doing here. God is grooming a leader. God is grooming a champion. God is grooming a deliverer. God is grooming someone he can rely upon to carry out his will and his word. And the question for all of us is always, can you be entrusted to care for the things of others? Because that takes us to the next step. If so, can you be trusted with the things of God? If you can't be entrusted with the things of others, why would God entrust you with the things of His own? Most of you probably have had to confront someone Who was behaving badly How'd that go for you? Probably not very well These guys were already feeling as if they were put upon They weren't really the favored children And so they were acting out When you have to tell someone how they are behaving Is wrong, it rarely goes well But don't turn around and blame it on the person Who confronted Sinfulness Because you know All of us All of us Who are in the family of God Are stewards of Christ's Right ways All of us That's what it means to be brought into the family of God and entrusted as heirs of all that God has. He does that and in turn places upon all of us the stewardship of Christ's right ways. We're trying to... um, ascertain here why Joseph is fit for great God things the first is because he's a truth man he tells the truth the second here of course we, we jump into this coat thing this richly ornamented coat um, this ostentatious robe Of course, everybody looks at this and says, well, of course they're going to hate him. He's favored by his father. He struts around in this special coat. Here's what we have to ask ourselves. Is this about a robe or about forfeited leadership? Here's, what I'm, here's, what I wanna, here's the point I think we need to make here. Joseph was given this coat not just because he was favored and he was special to his father, but because all of his brothers around him had forfeited the right to lead. If we study the history of these guys, you'll find out that uh, Reuben had slept with his father's concubine, firstborn son. Simeon and Levi had slaughtered all the men at Shechem. Judah, you're going to find out, is a scoundrel. The other four guys, Naphtali, Dan, Asher, and Gad, are the guys out in the field ripping their father off. Benjamin's too young. That leaves leaves Issachar and Zebulun. And when you read the blessings that... um, God, or that uh, Jacob puts upon his sons later on, he calls Issachar a donkey who sits between the packages. You get the idea the guy might have been lazy. Even though later on we find out the sons of Issachar, you know, they read the times and they knew what to do and all of that. And Zebulun, who knows? It just says he's the kind of guy who's going to be a safe harbor for ships. So here's what's happening. Joseph was given a leadership coat by his father. Yes, granted, it was a manager's coat. There's no question about it. And he's walking around. It's like, it's like a guy showing up at a welding shop with a full-length mink coat on. You know that guy's not going to do a whole lot of work. You hear me? So when Joseph's walking around with this passim, it says, this, this coat with long sleeves... He's not rolling up his sleeves and helping the other guys. He's walking around managing. That's what he's doing. He's been given the responsibility of leader of the family because the father trusted him. Mark it down, secondly. You will be resented for appointment to position. It was royal attire, no question about it. And he wasn't like them. And they didn't like it. Martin Luther, in writing on this text, says, The same perversity is also today running through all ranks in the church, state, and home. Now, he's talking about 1500s. For all men are grumbling against those who remind them of what is right They're indignant against those who reprove faults and sins, even enormous public sins. One must not oppose anyone, but allow everyone to do what he likes. One man makes his rank a pretext for his impudence, another his wealth, another his country or parents. And for these reasons, one is supposed to connive at their sins and disgraceful conduct. I occupy a magistrate, they say. Therefore, my rank is to be treated with consideration. Or I am a citizen of Wittenberg or Nuremberg, and therefore I rightly claim more for myself than a guest or a stranger. On the other hand, those who are modest and remain within the limits of duty and the laws are regarded with hatred by all. The very same thing happened to excellent Joseph in the household of Jacob. Go downtown Toronto this afternoon and call sin, sin, and see how how it works for you. This was forfeited leadership because Joseph had become the chosen and trusted heir and manager because he had proven obedient and faithful and truthful and righteous and loyal and lover of his father. And the father loved him. Let me wrap this up with one more. Joseph, first of all, tells on his brothers Then he's walking around with the manager's coat And with his manager's coat on He gathers all of his brothers around him And says guys I have great news for you I have a dream I have a dream And the dream kind of looked like All those guys were going to be bowing down To him in the future It says in the text that they hated him but in particular because of the dream. Can I say the third point? Well, Al's already there for me. You will become the target of resentment that's really meant for God. Let me explain to you here. There are no scriptures written at this time. Moses isn't alive yet. Everything that's been given from God has been handed down orally. And the Spirit of God moves through dreams. It was a dream that that, uh, moved Jacob to uh, learn uh, animal husbandry and to learn what goats he should choose, right, from his his father-in-law. It was from a dream. These, These brothers, although they hated Joseph... He was delivering to them, in fact, the vision of God. He was bringing to them the the will of God, the future of God, a a prophetic commentary on the way things would be. And they hated him for it. Conflicting visions as one of my colleagues said, always gets personal. And so the men were jealous of him. But really, they resented God. They would have gladly been on the other side of the dream, each one of them. They were jealous of their brother. By the way, brothers and sisters, if jealousy rises up in your life at all, Get rid of it quickly because sin is crouching right at your door. And so they had this deep seated disappointment with God and they were deflecting it toward Joseph. You know, people will say to you they want to hear what the will of God is until it isn't the same as their wishes. And then suddenly. They don't want to hear it anymore. So what was Joseph supposed to do? Receive a word from God and hold it to himself? Some sort of false humility? No, that's not not the man that Joseph was. That's not the man that was being shaped by God. He was a man who would call wrong, wrong, and right, right. Right. He was a man who, would, who could be entrusted with the leadership that his father gave to him. And, and by default, really, it wasn't so much favoritism. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Asher, Gad, Dan, Naphtali, Benjamin, too small. One after the other, they fell by the wayside. Not because Joseph was favored, but because he was the one left standing, righteous before God. And so he stands before his brothers with great courage, I might add. Yeah, naive people skills, maybe. But with great courage. He says, this is the vision that God has given to me. And when you do that, if it doesn't fit well with somebody around you, you become a target of Resentment that's really meant for God Keep in mind that dream telling If you know the Joseph story Was going to be the way God would get Joseph Out of prison And on to take care of his people Because it was the one thing God could rely upon in Joseph Joseph could be counted on to be right To call right, right Right to lead from loving the father and being entrusted as a good steward and because he would courageously tell it the way God gave it to him so let me just say to you this at closing god decides who will land where it's god's sovereignty his choice and his right choice is are confirmed by the righteous behavior of those he chooses. And the unrighteous always feel unfairly treated, but they do nothing morally to counteract their predicament. There wasn't one of these brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, you you name any of them, Asher, Gad, Naphtali, Dan, who couldn't have come to their father And repented of their failures But instead They just hated their righteous brother And tried to bring him down So by permitted cruelty God's man was groomed for the leadership And protection of God's people And that's how God holds people accountable In the context of his sovereignty They could have changed their ways Tonight, I want to look at the rest of the story and what bitterness unbridled will do. But suffice it to say this as we close this, this morning. You have a hard past? No problem for God. He can take that and use it and move you forward in amazing ways. A tough go in the present? Being mistreated for your commitment to what's right? Resented for some appointment to position are you the target of resentment that really is directed at God, but you're facing it God regularly Allows that to happen in the lives of people who he chooses To make a big impact In the grand purpose of building his church Because it trains us to be dependent upon God. And that's the kind of people that God can use.